0: If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to John chapter 5. We're in a new series of messages to start the year. And the the title of this series is called The Changed Life. And if you know us, uh, the word changed is a word that we use a lot. We believe God's called us to a vision of seeing changed lives changing lives here and around the world. We exist as a church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take the first weeks of this year and we're going to unpackage. What does that mean, the changed life? And what a great time for us to consider that as the new year has now dawned upon us, how we've now walked into this new year. Because a new year often brings about the idea of change, for better or for worse. I know that many people around, millions of people every year, they make a list of goals that they want to accomplish, a list of changes that they want to make. We normally call them what? New Year's resolutions. That I resolve to do this in 2015. The good news is many people set those goals. The bad news is that by the 4th of January today, many people have already given up on those goals. How many of you don't? Please don't lift your hands. I won't ask you to. Some of you haven't started yet. You say, you know what? Uh, be careful, okay? Because one week's going to turn into 52 weeks, and before you know, it's going to be 2016, and you haven't started your 2015 resolutions and goals yet. Every new year, it comes with this opportunity for us to consider new things, change, different. What will this new year hold? A new goals, new priorities, new way of living, a new life, a new you. We set out on those so often, and And yet they seem to be so difficult to actually see take root and bring about change in our lives. It can become very frustrating. We joke about those New Year's resolutions, but the truth is that many people give up on them within a very short period of time and never see the changes that they set out to make happen in their lives. How many of you have been frustrated and disheartened when this has happened to you? How many of you have felt that, man, nothing has changed how many of you set out in 2014 as the year began, as those closing minutes of 2013 were coming to an end, and you said, 2014 is going to be different. My life is going to be changed. This is the way things are going to happen. And now you reach the end of 2014 and into 2015, and you feel like nothing has changed. Am I talking to anyone today? In fact, like there's a lot of things that are still remaining the same. A lot of things are still frustrating you. They're still discouraging you. That's what this series of messages is going to be all about. Talking about change, talking about how things can move in a different direction. Because it can be frustrating as a person to go through life and feeling like you're caught in a cycle where nothing is ever changing. But you know what's even more frustrating than that? Than bearing the name Christian or follower of Jesus and reading God's word, and here's what it says... That anyone who's in Christ, anyone who believes in Jesus, that the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, from the grave, is at work in us. And we live our lives and nothing ever changes. We're still living the same old, same old. We're still stuck in the same ruts. And we're wondering what in the world is going on. Maybe 2014 was a year where you thought a lot was going to change and nothing has changed. And here you are discouraged and disheartened, wondering what will happen. What can I do? What is next? It's time for a change. You see, we read in God's word, when Jesus shows up into situations, that everything changes. When Jesus is added into the equation, everything is different. When people have an encounter with him, they are left changed and transformed. And I want you to know today, even if you haven't yet experienced that fully or you feel that your life has not yet come to a place of change and transformation that you thought would be possible because you're a follower of Jesus, then this series of messages and today's message is for you. We're going to be exploring God's word and what happens when Jesus changes a life. And as we look at John chapter 5 today, I pray that we will get insight through the story of a man's life who has radically changed that will allow us to experience change here in 2015, here today. So let's look together at God's Word, John chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 1. And I'm going to read to verse 5, but I'm only going to read four verses. Some of you wonder how that's possible, but in your version of the Bible, you'll see verse 4 isn't there. It says, And after these things, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. Now, we go to the end of verse 3 and all of verse 4. Some of you, if you're looking in your Bible right now, how many of you don't have that in there? There's no, there's no verses there. Can I see a show of hands? Others of you, if you're looking at the ones in the pews, you'll even see the verses there. But many of them, they're in brackets. Because this was something that whenever they went and they studied, after the King James Version was written in the 1600s, they came to look at older transcripts. They found more writings that were uh, over hundreds and almost thousands of years old. And in those writings, they saw... That these that these verses, this section of words, were actually not in the original manuscripts that were written in the word, they were added at some later time, and so that we put in parentheses in many of our translations. But it gives you some insight into maybe why all the people were there. It says, they were waiting for the moving of waters, for an angel of the Lord went down and at certain seasons into the pool and he stirred the water, and whoever was first in after the stirring stepped in and was made well from whatever disease he was afflicted. Then verse 5. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Now we're going to take a look at the kind of context and some of the background of this passage to help put us right there where Jesus was to understand what he did at that day. It says that he... Visited at a time, it was the Feast of the Jews. Now, it doesn't tell what feast it was, but the feasts normally took place in Jerusalem to commemorate a special time in the history of the people of God. In the same way that we take time now to celebrate Christmas, we're commemorating the birth of Jesus. We celebrate Thanksgiving. We are commemorating a time in history where we need to pause and remember and reflect on what happened. Well, each of the feasts that would happen on the Jewish calendar, they were to commemorate significant moments in Israel's history, in the history of the people of God. And we don't know exactly what feast, because it just says the feast of the Jews, which could have been any of those feasts. But they were coming back to remember all that the Lord had done in their history and at some point in their story. That's when Jesus arrives. That's why he came. And as he arrived in Jerusalem, he came in through this gate called the sheep gate. And you can read about that in the book of Nehemiah. It talks about this gate where they would bring the sheep in through. It was a small door, a small gate. Many times, those that were coming to worship and to sacrifice animals in the temple would enter through the sheep gate. They'd go up to the temple mount, and then they would perform their rituals and their sacrifices as a part of their worship. Now, right near there, it says there's a pool that's called... Bethesda in this area that is literally translated to mean the house of mercy. So it's, it, it gives you this insight or this house of outpouring. So in this place of mercy, this house of mercy, many who were sick, many who were lame, many who were blind, many who were withered, who were desperate and helpless and hopeless had all gathered together. And they gathered by this pool. Because there was this legend that this pool had these healing properties to it that every so often the waters would become troubled or disturbed, same way that you'd look out over a beautiful lake in an early morning and you just see nothing. It's, it's clear as glass. And then something starts to move. Maybe a fish jumps up. Whatever it is starts to ripple, become disturbed. The same thing would happen in this pool. Normally it would maybe be very clear, very calm, and then the waters would start moving. Many believe it's because of an underground spring or something that fed, or perhaps because there really were two pools, one that fed the other, that because of the movement of water, it started to move it. But people thought that they could then jump into that pool, get into it, and whatever sickness they had, it would be gone. Now, you can go to Jerusalem today, and because of uh, those that have been continuing to... uh, discover things through uh, archaeology and and an excavation of sites. If you go near the church of St. Anne in that very section of Jerusalem, you see the ruins of this very place. And you'll see that there are, you can't make it out very well here, but there are two pools that were in this very location. Now there has been some work that's been done to reconstruct what this would look like, and this is what it would have looked like. You can see uh, where the red roofs are, those are the porticos, those are like porches that overhang. They provide shelter, they provide covering and shade for anyone to be gathered under, and then the pools are in the middle. So you have these two pools and you have all those porches, and they say there are five of them because you see the one long one going up and the other long one behind it, and then the, th- the two on the ends and the one in the middle would be five. Five of these porticos or these covered porches And all those that were lame, all those that were sick, all those that were helpless and desperate, they would gather there every day waiting for the waters to be stirred so that they could try to get in there and try to find their healing, try to find hope, try to find change, try to find something different than what they had been experiencing in this life. Among them was a man who was there for 38 years. Now imagine with me anyone dealing with anything for 38 years, how frustrating would that be to you? Could you imagine having something you've been ailed with? Could you imagine being in a job you don't want to be in and being there for 38 years? Could you imagine dealing with something in your life that has gone on for that long? I mean, I don't know about you, but I start to lose hope after maybe a couple of weeks or a couple of months. After a year, I'm feeling like nothing's going to change. This guy has been showing up for 38 years, waiting by this pool for something to change, something to happen in his life, something to turn around, and nothing is happening. You know what I see here? I see a picture of what I would call insanity. There's a definition that's been given to the word insanity, and it's normally tongue-in-cheek, but I think it's so applicable when we consider this. They say insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. It's about doing the same thing over and over again and expecting something different to come at the end of it. Doing everything the way you've always done and expecting something new to take place. That's insane. This man has been showing up at the same pool, at the same place, with the same condition for 38 years and nothing has happened differently. And we see by the time we get to the story, he's there still waiting. Still thinking, if I just show up again, maybe something will be different this day. That's insane, that's crazy. It's not something that that would be easy for anyone to do. What does it have to do with us today? Is this only to those that are sick in the house this morning? No, this is a picture, I believe, of what the church goes through so often. We show up at the same place, the same time, go through the same things in our life, and we expect that everything's going to be different one day. I think this is a picture of the life that we live in the world today, that we are caught in cycles that are spinning round and around. We go through the same exact habits, the same exact steps, the same exact life. We don't change anything about the way that we're living, but we expect somehow our life is going to be different at the end. We go into every year and the greatest thing we have are just hopes, hopes that something will change. And we show up and we do the same things day in, day out, year in, year out, and we become frustrated when nothing different is happening. That is, my friends, the definition of insanity: doing the same thing over and over again, and expecting something different to take place. Doing the same old and expecting something new. That's not it. And I'll tell you what: you know, it can be frustrating when we get caught in those kind of cycles. And uh, I saw a video uh, that that was recorded just a couple of days after Christmas, on the twenty-seventh of December. It was at a gas station. Let me know if this has ever happened to you. This was over in the U.K. somewhere. This lady gets out. She realizes, oh, man, I'm parked on the wrong side. So she pulls around. She she gets out. She realizes, oh, man. Hold on, wait, what's going on? So she does it another time here. She realizes, man, what's going on here? Is it, oh, no, that's not it. Hold on, wait. Someone playing a trick on me? They moving the gas? So she she finally, you know, went and got some help so that she could realize that finally if she just pulled around this way, it should work. (laughs) Hold on, wait, what? Nope, not yet. And finally, she flips this thing around. She turns in the other direction. She realizes, I'm not going to keep going in those circles again. That should work. That should work. Let's give her a round of applause. (laughs) Don't feel bad. You know if there was a gas station, uh, you know, we even have this parking attendance. The gas station attends here. We still get it wrong a few times, don't we? Isn't that a picture, though, of what we go through in this life so often? I do believe we keep circling the same things year in and year out, day in and day out. We keep doing the same stuff and then we get out and we say, why isn't anything different today? You walk into this year and you have all kinds of aspirations for what you want to see your life look like. And I pray that you've made resolutions beyond your job, your career, your house, your family, your personal accomplishments and fame. I pray that you've even made commitments to what you want your spiritual life to look like, your relationship with God. I'll tell you, some of you, you desire God to do a greater work. How many desire God to do something great in your life in 2015? That's great. How many of us are willing to make some changes in our life so that that can really take place? That's what it's really gonna be about. Sometimes we think, oh God, I want to do it. I want to, and then we just circle around the same thing, the same day. We still live uh, anemic Christian lives, not diving in the word, not living in prayer, not doing the things that God calls us to and expecting somehow our life is just going to be magically transformed. God says this. He has a word for you. Stop living that insane kind of life. Live a changed life. The cure for insanity is change. Change is what brings it about. Isaac Newton in the first law of motion says this, that an object at rest will continue at rest unless it is compelled to change by an outside force acting upon it. That someone in whatever state they're in is going to remain in that state until an outside force acts upon them in such a way that caused them to go in a different direction. I'll tell you what. If that man could not die and he could live forever, we may still be able to go to Jerusalem today and see the man who's still showing up at the pool of Bethesda waiting for something different to happen. living the same exact life, going through the same exact cycles and habits, and nothing's changing. And I'll tell you what, today, without God's intervention in your life, you will show up again in 2016, 17, 18, 19, nothing will be any different. You'll just be a little older. But God, God has a word for us, church, that today... There is that outside acting force, the same one that walked in to the pool of Bethesda, the place where people had gathered, multitudes had gathered, hoping that something will be different but not seeing any change. And he was there to act upon one life and change that life for eternity. It's the same one that's here today with us that maybe you've come into church and you've gone out and you've filled pews for many, many years, but you're not seeing anything change inside of your heart, I want you to know there's someone that's here today. His name's Jesus. And he's going to make all the difference if you let him. So let's look at the story and let's see what happens with this man. Jesus comes to him. And he asks him a question. He asks him a very, very important question. In chapter 5, verse 6, it says, And Jesus saw him lying there, and he knew that he had already been there a long time in that condition. And here's what he said to him. Do you wish to get well? Do you wish to get well? What a question to ask a man who has been in that condition for 38 years. Do you really want to get better? And You know what I know? Jesus knew. He saw and understood more than you and I can see and understand, and more than the people around him. He knew how long he had been there. He discerned much more. He has insight, we see in John's gospel, into things that people are not even telling him. And so I don't think he's asking a question just to ask a question. I think there's a deeper meaning behind what he's really asking him today. He's saying this, do you really want a changed life? Are you ready for a changed life? Do you really want to get better? Because there's every person that's there. There are multitudes there. The scripture does not say that Jesus came and healed every person at the pool that day. It says he goes to this one person, a man who did not even seek him out, a man who did not even know him, a man who did not even have faith to know that Jesus could do anything about his situation. And he says this to him. Do you want to get well? See, for some of us, we think, of course he would. Of course he would. Of course I would if Jesus came to you and said, do you want to experience a changed life? What we don't realize is that, you know why change is so difficult? Because many people say that people are afraid of change. I don't think that that's true. Because I'll tell you what, tomorrow if someone showed up at your doorstep and gave you a million dollars, would that change your life? Would you be afraid of that? No, I think a lot of times we can be excited about change. You know what people really fear? They fear loss. And every change has built into it some kind of felt loss. And what this man is being asked is, do you really want your life to change that much? Because you have come for 38 years, and I'm sure that he has grown very comfortable doing what he's always been doing, living how he's always been living. Tell you what, there are people that are living a life that, that is full of pain, full of difficulty, and full of whatever it might be. But guess what? It's the only life that they know, and for them, it becomes a new normal. And for them, they become very comfortable living that way. For him, you know what? He knew every single day when he woke up, he knew what was going to happen. He knew where he would go. He knew how he would be provided for. He lived off of the generosity of others, going into the temple, maybe giving him some food, giving him something to eat. He was somehow sustaining his life, living this way. Some would say, what kind of life is that? But I'll tell you what, for him, it was the only life he knew. And the question was, do you want to get well? Do you actually want your life to change? Or have you grown so comfortable going through these motions? That's all you really know. Because you have to think about what's at stake there. From that day forward, this man would have to get up. If he were to change, if something were to change in his life, He would have to figure out, how am I going to provide for myself? What am I going to do every single day? What will my life look like? What will my new priorities be? How will I spend my time? How will I focus my energies? Sometimes we think about all the positives, but there are things that change inside of someone's life, and they're seen as a loss. And I'll tell you what, some of us, we're not really changing or willing to change. We become very comfortable with ingrained habits of sin, of choices that we're making, of living in a certain way, and you know we can complain about it all we want, but the question isn't how bad is it really for you. It's do you really want to change? Do you really want to get better? Do you really want to see something different take place in your life? And for many, they can't even get past that first question because in your mind you say yes, but in your life you're saying no because you're very comfortable living the way that you've always been living. Here's what the Bible says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. This is the promise of God's word, and what happens when Jesus, the greatest agent of change in the world ever, the one who came to transform us, comes into our life. That the old things have passed away, behold, the new things have come. But you know what the problem is is so often we become a lot more comfortable with the old things that are supposed to be passing away than the new things Jesus wants to bring into our life. That means that the old life needs to be lost. It needs to go away. That's the change Jesus is coming to bring. If the caterpillar wants to be a caterpillar that wants to be a caterpillar, you know what? He's he, he's never going to bring go through the transformation to become what he was created to become. That transformation meant the loss of some abilities. But guess what? What's gained on the other side is so much greater. Same is true in our lives. That what we exchange is we exchange an old life, a life full of sin, of wrong choices, of only living for ourselves, and we exchange it for a life with Christ, a life where we could walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. We could live this life with Christ and experience all the benefits and promises of God's word. But we get something in us. We just allow the old things, the old way, the old life to cling to us and for us to cling to it. I think about it much like the children of God who wandered in the wilderness. Some would say when they read the Gospel of John that you could see some of the numbers that are being used there and that they point to points in the Old Testament that have significance to the story. And I think about the 38 years that this man had been in his condition And when I look back in the story of Israel's history, I think about 38 years being a significant number. It was the amount of years that they wandered in the wilderness. Do you want to know why they wandered in the wilderness? Because God did a great job of rescuing them from Egypt and getting them out of Egypt. But those people, they couldn't get Egypt out of them. They couldn't get the new identity of who God really wanted them to be. They were so content. In fact, within a short time, they're they're telling Moses, take us back to Egypt. We want to be slaves. We want to eat there. We're fine. Guess what? We say the same things with our lives very often. We say we want to experience all the benefits of God's word. But some of the changes that come, they mean loss. They mean we got to get rid of the old life. We got to embrace who Jesus has called us to be. And change isn't always easy. And change isn't always comfortable. And because of that, many of us, we don't experience it the way God wants us to. The changed life isn't the easier life. And I'll tell you what, the changed life isn't the comfortable life, but it's a Christ-transformed life, and it will change everything about you if you'll let it. Jesus is asking that question, is anyone ready for a changed life? To move away from the insane life that comes from just experiencing the same life over and over again to the changed life. That's the cure for insanity is change, a changed life. So the, the sick man answers Jesus to that question Do you really want a changed life? Do you really want to be made well? Do you really wish to get better? And he answers Jesus the way that we often answer that question, I believe. He answers him in verse 7. He says this Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another one steps down before me. So he doesn't answer Jesus' question. He answers it with an excuse. He says to him, oh, you know, if I only had someone to come and I, you know, the reason I'm in this state, the, you know, the reason my life hasn't been changed, the reason why I'm not better is because no one will help me get into the pool. 38 years have gone by. No one has helped you get into the pool. No one's helped you. Would you think that after 38 years, you could have devised some way where well, you would have known every day at maybe 5 o'clock, like maybe you could have anticipated and be waiting in the pool before it starts moving. Like you could have thought of something in 38 years, but you're sitting there with the same old excuse. Well, no one's going to come. No one's come and lifted me up and picked me up and brought me over and I can't get in in time. So this is, just, this is just how life is. That isn't the question Jesus asked. He didn't say, why aren't you better? He said, do you want to be made well? He didn't say, why is your life no different? He said, do you want a changed life? And I think so often we can't get beyond our excuses that we make. I'll tell you what, the same life that you're living today will never become a changed life. That same life will never end until the excuses end. For as long as you're willing to make excuses and excuse and justify the way that you're living will be as long as you're going to keep living that way. Until you're willing to say, you know what, enough is enough. I'm done with the excuses. I'm ready to do whatever it takes. But as long as you keep justifying it, you're never going to experience all that God has for you. That man could have given all the excuses and reasons in the world. He'd still be sitting there today. Could you imagine if when we came to Jesus as our Lord and our Savior and we're we're coming and confessing our sins to him. If we say, oh, Lord, would you please forgive me because I've done this. And, but, but you do know that, you know, I technically, you know, I went through that and I went through this. And, you know, well, and please, you know, forgive me because I stole. But, you know, I was really hungry. and I Like, that isn't how our confession works before the Lord. That's us doing a lot of excuse making, a lot of justifying of our own actions. That's not true repentance. That's not true confession. First thing we have to do if we want to experience a changed life is to stop making excuses for why we're not where we should be. We need to say, Lord, this is where I am. Come and find me where I am. No more excuses. I'm not going to cover it up anymore. I'm not going to try to make, make light of it anymore. So Jesus, he cuts right through this guy's explanation and all that he's saying. And he says to him clearly, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Ask Pastor Brian to come at this time. He says, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Jesus gives him a clear instruction. He says, do you want to be made well? Do you wish to have a changed life? Is that your desire? Oh, well, but you know, get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. And that very word this man could have said, I told you, I can't walk. I told you, I'm waiting for the pool. I told... The, conti- the excuses could have continued. He could have refused. He could have done anything else. But you know what he does? He acts in obedience, immediate obedience to the word of Jesus. Here's what it says. Immediately the man became well and he picked up his pallet and he began to walk. He did exactly what Jesus told him to do. First thing you have to do is you have to stop making excuses. The second thing you need to do is you need to begin to walk in immediate obedience to Jesus. You, see, making excuses is what's delaying so much of what you want to experience in your life today. I'm going to ask you the question, what does your prayer life look like? Is it getting better? Oh, no, but I'm busy and I got this. And I, stop making excuses. Obey God's word. How, how's your time in the Word each day? How are you spending time with Jesus? What, oh, you know, but I, I just, I, I really have, a, you know, stop making excuses, begin to act in immediate obedience to Jesus. I'll tell you what, you know what this man knew that, that, that we don't even get to get into today is that it was illegal for anyone to do anything on the Sabbath. And this man got up, it was on the Sabbath, and he began to walk around breaking the religious laws of that time. And he's stopped by people and they're saying to him, stop what you're doing. What are you doing? He said, there's a man who healed me. He told me to get up, pick up my pal and walk. So I'm getting up, picking up my pal and I'm walking. I don't care. I leave the consequences up to him. Some of us, we got to stop making excuses. We got to stop waiting to be obedient, worried about what people will think of us. And say, God, if you've called me to it, then I'm going to leave everything else up to you. I'm going to leave it in your hands. I'm not going to worry about resistance or difficulties or struggles because I'll tell you what, this man experienced a changed life. And walking in immediate obedience means walking in continued obedience. Jesus comes back to him in verse 14. He says, stop sinning. Stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. Some of you today, life is where it is right now because some of the choices and the habits that you've allowed to continue long after You professed your faith in Jesus. Things have been reintroduced into your life that you need to repent of today because they're holding you back. And here's what God wants to tell you today. You have an opportunity to get up, pick up your pallet and walk in obedience to Jesus. And if you don't stop, something worse could even happen. So today the question is for each one of us. Do you really want a changed life? Do you want to experience a life full of the promises of God because I believe, church, we haven't even scratched the surface of what it can look like to experience all that God has for us. We're not living up to our potential. and God wants us to. I want to experience that kind of life. Do you want to experience that kind of life? It starts with us doing this. Stop making excuses and beginning to walk in immediate obedience to Jesus. So the first thing that we're going to do is we're just going to follow God's word. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something we've done many other first services of the year. I'm going to step out of this pulpit. I'm going to ask Pastor Brian to step down off of his instrument. We're going to vacate this space. We're doing that because we're acknowledging that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only Lord, the only pastor, the only shepherd of this church. We are always under shepherds. Anyone here that leads, we're leading under his leadership. So we're saying, Lord, we're denying ourselves, Lord. We're becoming less so that you can become greater. And I ask you as we do this, that you would even at your seat, you would turn around, you'd kneel down at your seat before the Lord. And you would symbolically say this, Lord, I'm denying myself. I'm stepping off the throne of my own life. I'm giving you control, Lord God. I'm setting you above myself this year. And I'm going to walk in obedience to you. Everyone that's willing to make that commitment before the Lord today, right now as we walk off this platform, would you turn around right in your seat? Would you kneel down right where you're at? And let's begin to go before the Lord in prayer, committing this to him in 2015. Allow the Spirit of the Lord to speak to you in this moment. Be vulnerable before the Lord. Ask Him to reveal anything in your life that He's asking to change. He's a gentleman. Give Him permission today. Give Him full access to your life. Today, if you've never called upon His name, this is the first time you're kneeling down before a holy God who loves you Who wants to have a relationship with you, but you have to acknowledge your need for him, your wrong choices. Commit to follow him all the days of your life. Pray a simple prayer Lord, save me, rescue me, give me this changed and new life that I'll follow after you. I won't walk in the ways I used to walk, I will walk after you. Lord, see every heart here today. Lord, we vacate this platform and this pulpit, Lord. We acknowledge that you are the Lord over this church. You are the pastor of this church. You are the shepherd of this flock. Lord, we pray for wisdom, insight, direction, Lord God, to follow your leading in 2015, that everything that's said and done would bring glory and honor to you, will result in lives being changed and transformed. We can't do it, Lord God. Only you can. So come and have your way, Lord God. We dedicate this year to you. We dedicate our lives to you. And we make a commitment, a resolution today before you, a living and holy God, that, Lord, we will live a changed life, one that prioritizes all that you have prioritized, Lord God. Help us to honor you with everything we say, everything we do. Teach us, we pray, Lord, what it means to live that life in the days to come. In your name, amen. Amen stand together we believe God's greatest days are ahead of us church but before that takes place some things have got to change let's not continue to walk through 2015 the way we've been walking through 2014 and expecting anything to get better I believe God's word is spouted out clearly for us today If today you know God needs to continue to deal with you, maybe you need to spend some time at this altar, just feel free to come. You can kneel at this altar, you can pray, you can worship God with freedom and spend time just telling him whatever's on your heart. We're gonna have our altar workers, those that have served communion, to be on the far ends of the platform. If you wanna pray with someone for anything, just come forward. They'll be here to agree with you in prayer. You can worship along as Pastor Brian leads us. If you need to go, please save your conversations for the foyer. We'll see you again next week as we continue in this journey. God bless you.